0: So look in John chapter 14, and we'll read uh, verses one to fourteen. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? So they say that opposites attract, and uh, me and my wife are different in a lot of different ways. Uh, Stephanie and I, uh, especially when it comes to being surprised. Like Stephanie likes to be surprised and perfectly content with being surprised. Me, I don't really like to be surprised all that much. For example, we're planning on going on a vacation in May. And Stephanie doesn't really care. Uh, she didn't have a strong preference where we went on that vacation. So I did a lot of research to try to find a good place to go uh, with a small child, and tried to find like the you know place to stay. And then after that, I started to kind of research where we're going to stop on the way down, uh, what stops we're going to make, how we're going to you know let Paul get some exercise where so he's not in the car so long, and you know planning all of those details out and except for the fact that Stephanie knows where we're going and a few other details that I've told her, she doesn't know any of those other details. And she's perfectly content with that. She's content just kind of going with the flow, and she trusts that I'll take care of all those details. Now, it's good that, you know, we're different in that way, and it works out great, but I can imagine a case where maybe, you know, we were the same in that. And I can't imagine what it would be like if she was planning it and I had no idea what the details were going to be. I would be freaking out because I need to know where we're going, when we're going, how long we're going to stay there, where we're going to stop on the way. I need to know all the details or else it gives me some anxiety. Now, some of you are probably a little bit more like Stephanie, where you can just kind of go with the flow and, you know, the details aren't as important. And some of you are like me, you want to know exactly what you're doing when how it's going to happen, et cetera. But if that happened to me, of course, it would drive me crazy. Spiritually speaking, I think that all of us at one time or another have asked ourselves the question or asked the question to God. God, what do you want me to do? God, what is the destination that you have for me? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to be today? And we want to know specific answers to that question. And we agonize over that question. And oftentimes maybe we we think to ourselves, if only God would tell me exactly, specifically, what to do, it would be so much eaters, easier easier. And we think about the Bible times and, you know, God sometimes appeared to people in visions and dreams and uh, with an audible voice. And if only God spoke to me like that and I knew exactly what to do, it would be so much easier. But I think while I can understand that, I've thought that myself. I think sometimes what we are doing when we think that way is we want to obey without faith. We want to obey without belief. Martin Luther King Jr. said that faith is taking the first step when you don't see the staircase. But we want to see the staircase. We want to see the destination. We want to see where God is taking us. And we want to see all those details planned out clearly. But then we look at the scriptures. And even in the scriptures, when God appeared to people and told people specifically what to do, there were many times where they didn't know where they were going. Yes, they might have known the first step that God was calling them to take. Maybe not even that. But they weren't given all those details. They still had to exercise faith. Remember the story of Abraham, how God appeared to Abraham the first time in Genesis chapter 12. And look at what he says to him in verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So you can imagine Abraham asking God, okay, God, which land are you talking about that I'm supposed to go to? And God's like, I'll show you. Okay, God, when will I get to this land of promise that you're telling me about? I'll show you. Okay, what path should I take to get to this land of promise? Uh, I'll show you. Okay, God, I don't have any children, but you say I'm going to be a great nation. How is that going to happen? He says, I'll show you. So Abraham and many other people in scriptures, God only gave the first step, and they still had to exercise faith. It says he still had to exercise belief in God. In this passage, we see the disciples. And remember what happened with the disciples? We have the accounts in the Gospels of Jesus comes up to them and says, follow me at the beginning of his ministry. And uh, this was kind of a radical thing because usually in the ancient world, if someone wanted to follow after a rabbi, they would have to approach the rabbi and, and ask if they could be their disciple, that uh, the, the rabbi would be their mentor. But Jesus comes up to them and says, follow me. It's kind of unusual. These people were fishermen. They were just common people. Uh, everyday people. They weren't re- in any religious order or anything like that. And so they're probably just kind of overcome by the fact that Jesus had asked them to, to follow him. And so they get up and they leave their nets and they go and they follow him. And through the course of Jesus' ministry, they learn a little bit more about what Jesus is all about. And they, they come to know that he's not just a rabbi. Uh, by, the, by the time we get to this passage in John chapter 14, they probably understand that he is the Messiah. Clearly, they don't understand, you know, the fact that he's God or uh, some of those details by the, by the account in this passage. But they probably believe that he's the Messiah at this point. And they probably believe that he's going to initiate the kingdom of God. That he's going to become king and maybe overthrow the Roman authorities and bring in God's kingdom on earth. So they have these expectations They have these hopes and dreams about who Jesus is and what he's going to accomplish. And then it's a few days before the Passover. Jesus is going to die uh, in just a few short days. And Jesus starts to say some things to the disciples that are just bizarre. At least they would have considered them bizarre. So it starts, that we looked at a couple weeks ago, where Jesus takes the form of a servant. He takes off his outer garments and he gets down and washes the disciples' feet. Now, in the ancient world, in the ancient mindset, honor, shame culture, it was taught that uh, people who were important didn't stoop down and wash other people's feet. They needed to be served. But Jesus teaches that it's not through being served that you find joy and freedom, that it's by serving others. So that's where it starts. Then Jesus, in verse 21, says that his heart is troubled. In chapter 13, verse 21, he says that one of the disciples is going to betray him. Now, Jesus' disciples, apart from Judas, they don't know what's happening, and so they're perplexed by this, have no idea what Jesus is talking about. Then Jesus says that he's going away and going to a place that his disciples can't follow him. Okay, Then after that, Peter says, Jesus, I'm going to follow you no matter what. I would follow you to the death. And then Jesus says... Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Let's not underestimate how much this must have troubled the disciples. They have these expectations about who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. And now Jesus is like, serve, don't be served. One of you is going to betray me. I'm going away. And by the way, the best among you is going to fail me. It would have been incredibly disconcerting for them because They didn't know where they were going anymore. If Jesus is leaving, if Peter is going to fail him, then where are they going? What's the path? What's the plan? So Jesus tries to encourage them. He says, let not your heart be troubled. That's how the passage starts. And he talks about going to prepare a place for the disciples. He says, in my Father's house are many rooms. And he talks about going and preparing a place for them. In the ancient world, when a groom would... Uh, proposed to uh, a lady, then he would go to his father's house usually and then prepare a place for his bride. And often they would build on to the father's house to have a place for them to live. That's probably the image that he's talking about here. And then Jesus makes a statement that's baffling to the disciples. Jesus says, you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas, who's often known for his bluntness, we know him as Doubting Thomas, who later needs to know, uh, to have physical proof that Jesus has risen from the dead before he will believe, he says, Jesus, how can we know the way? How can, if we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? If we don't know the destination, if we don't, we don't know where we're headed, then how do we know the way to get there? It's a fair question. Uh, Lewis Carroll in his book Alice in Wonderland said famously, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. How can the disciples know the way where Jesus is going if they don't know where he's going? And I think that's a question that many of us have asked. If you're a believer, we know, we know as believers that our final destination is with God. With Christ in a new heaven and new earth, we know that's our ultimate destination. But when we talk about our life on this earth, we don't know exactly where God is going to take us. You know, we talk about a five-year plan or a ten-year plan, and where do you see yourselves in five? See yourselves in five years, ten years, and maybe we have some goals or hopes or dreams for where uh, we believe God's going to take us. But there's so many things that can throw a wrench in those plans, like a worldwide pandemic or uh, a cancer diagnosis, losing a job. There's so many things that can kind of derail what we thought our plan was and take us to a place that's different than what we intended. So then we ask God the question, so God, if I don't know where I'm going, if I don't know what the destination is for my life, then how do I know the way to get there? And I think that's the struggle that the disciples are having. If, if we don't know the plan, if you're leaving us, the greatest among us is going to fail you, then what's the plan? How do we know the way to get there if we don't know where we're going? Jesus makes an incredible statement to Thomas. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When I've read, studied, and heard this passage preached upon, uh, oftentimes the point that, that I've taken from this verse is kind of the exclusive nature of Jesus' teaching, that there's no other way to God except through Jesus. It's not through any other religion. It's only through Christ. And that's true. That's a true statement. However, I think Jesus is trying to communicate more than that in this passage. I think he's trying to get his disciples to see something incredible, incredibly important. I think the disciples are trying to follow a path when they should be following a person. They're trying to follow a path when they should be following a person. They want a path to the Father. They want a path to the destination. And Jesus says, I am the path. I am the way. And I think that we do the same thing in our own lives. We want God to show us exactly what we need to do. We need, He wants God to show us the destination, but God's like, follow Christ. He's the path. He's the way. He wants us to follow a person rather than a path. See, God doesn't give us a map to lead us through the wilderness. He gives us Jesus to carry us through the wilderness. He gives us a person. When I was preparing this message, I was talking to Stephanie about that opening illustration and kind of our differences in regards to to things like planning a vacation. And in the course of time, we just kind of talked about that a little bit. And she said something like this, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But she said something like this, why do I need to know the details? I mean, I know that you're going to be there, Paul is going to be there, I'm going to be there, and it's going to be good. And I think that's how God wants us to view our lives. We don't know the destination. We don't know all the details of how everything is going to work out. But it's going to be good because God is going to be with us. He's going to never leave us. He's never going to forsake us. Now, does that mean it doesn't matter what we do? Does that mean it's just, you know, we just do whatever we feel like and, you know, everything will turn out okay? No, I don't think that's the case at all. But when we follow Christ day by day, he'll lead us in the path that he has for us. He'll guide us each step of the way, sometimes only one step ahead. We won't see the destination always. We won't see five feet in front of us, but he'll hold our hands and guide us through the wilderness. We can have confidence that when we're walking with Christ, he'll lead us in the right path. I think something that kind of trips up believers is I think as believers, sometimes we worry, what if I miss God's plan? I mean, what if God had this for me and I do this? What if I just kind of mess up God's plan? I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to mess up God's plan. I want to honor him. I want to follow him. But what if I make a mistake? Now, I may be wrong, but my belief is that can't happen. I don't believe that you can. If you're following after Christ day by day, he's not going to take you down the wrong path. The only thing that can t- take you down the wrong path is our own sin and our own unbelief. Isaiah 53 says that we're all like sheep. We've all go, we have all have this tendency to wander. And so when we wander on our own, yeah, we can go down the wrong path. But when we're walking with Christ day by day, doing our best to follow what everything that he, he tells us that we should do, doing our best to make decisions in light of that, I don't think we can go down the wrong path because he's not going to lead us down a path that's wrong. Now, he might lead us down difficult, broken paths. He might teach us some hard things. But when we follow him day by day, he walks with us. Science writer Michael Bond is an expert in the subject of lostness. And he talks about how this idea of lostness kind of uh, permeates different aspects of culture and stories that we tell he says this children lost in the woods is a common motif in modern fairy tales and in ancient mythology usually in fiction there's some kind of redemption Snow White is rescued by dwarfs and even Hansel and Gretel facing certain doom in the gingerbread house find their way home he says reality is often more grim during the 18th and 19th century getting lost, was one of the most common causes of death among the children of European settlers in the North American wilderness. I mean, it's crazy to think about getting lost and that leading to someone's death. We have GPS. we have all different tools today so that we don't get lost. But what would happen if you took all those tools away? If you didn't have a GPS, you didn't have road maps, you didn't have physical maps, what would it look like to be lost? Well, a scientist did a study uh, several years ago. And what she did was she put GPS locators on these people so they, she could kind of follow where they went to. Didn't have any technology, and they were put out into uh, the forest in Germany and in the Sahara Desert. And they were told just walk in a straight line. And what they discovered was if it was a cloudy day... And there's no other you know, kind of markers or reference points. What they found was they tended to start walking in circles over and over and over again. Didn't matter how, they, how long they walked, they just kept walking in circles. And what was amazing, uh, what I found amazing was most of the people didn't get over 100 yards away from where they started. Or 100 meters hundred meters away. They're just walking in circles. They have no reference point. They have no anchor. I believe that Jesus is an anchor for our souls. When we go our own way, when we don't aren't tethered to the word of God and to Christ, then we get lost. But when we are anchored to Christ, we cannot get lost. Jesus says he's the way, but he also says he's the truth and the life. Andreas Kostenberger suggests this. He says, to know the truth and to have life beyond the grave are the great aspirations of mankind. Jesus here is talking about two things that the human heart longs for. The human heart longs for uh, truth. We invest an incredible amount of time in learning knowledge, learning truth. You know, how long are we spend in school, middle school, elementary school, high school, then some of us college or graduate school, trade school? We invest so much time, energy, and money into knowing the truth, and yet oftentimes in our culture where there's so much information, we've lost our sense of truth. Garcia Marquez in her novel, 100 Years of Solitude, describes this city that has this insomnia plague and as they are unable to sleep for an extended amount of time, they start to lose their memories. And they start to lose their grasp of reality. And so as they're living their lives, they start to forget things. And so one man named Jose decides that he's going to start labeling things so that if they forget, they'll remember about the label. So he goes, goes around and labels shovel, uh, table, chair, clock, door, wall. And then he goes to the corral and labels cow, pig, hay, et cetera, et cetera. And so he does that and seems to help for a while, but then they start to lose a conception of what these animals are for or what these objects are for. So he has to start being more descriptive. He has to say, okay, this is the cow, and she has to be milked twice a day, and then you boil the milk, and then you can drink it or put it in your coffee. But even after that, they start to lose their conception of what even the words or the symbols of the letters mean. It said in the book that eventually the village put a uh, sign at the entrance of the town that said God exists. But that knowledge, too, was slipping away. I I believe as we get further and further away from God's word further away from the truth, we get more and more lost. As believers, we believe what is real is not what's out there, but what is in here, what is in God's word. Yes, there's a lot to learn from the natural world. From study, from uh, discussion, there's so much to learn from the natural world. But we don't look to psychologists or scientists or researchers to tell us what's true. We look to God's word. And we don't look to research and scientists to interpret God's word. God's word interprets what the natural world says. God's word shows us how we should view the world around us. And our study and our research uh, explicates the truth of God's word. We don't ask Christ to conform to our truth. We see as the world conforms to Christ's truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the one that you you need to know. I am the one who shows you what life is really about and what is really real. And finally, Jesus says, I am the life. One of the divining quests of the human experiences is to avoid death and to find happiness, to find joy, to find the good life. And there's so many people who have invested in that cause. For example, billionaire Peter Thiel invested heavily in organizations like the SENS Foundation, which is devoted to developing rejuvenation biotechnologies. A man named William Andrag founded a Silicon Valley nanotechnology startup called Hallison Molecular and claimed that he planned to live for millions, billions, or hundreds of billions of years. And then the business went out of business. Then there's Russian transhumanist multimillionaire Dmitry Iskov who launched the 2045 initiative offering the promise that humans would be immortal by 2045. He said, just as soon as we make a leap into artificial machine bodies. Then, of course, Larry Ellison gave millions upon millions of dollars to the Ellison Medical Foundation to understand lifespan development processes. Several years ago, Ellison said this, death makes me very angry. It doesn't make any sense to me. Death, how can a person be there and then just vanish, just not be there? Of course, these efforts are always going to end in failure because the human is not just a machine. It's not just a component of its parts. There's a soul that's inside, a soul that can't be replicated. The only way to conquer death is through Christ, the way, the truth. And the life. The only way to find true joy, life, and happiness is through Christ. He's the only way to the Father. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, "No one comes to the Father except through me." Leo Tolstoy uh, wrote a book called War and Peace. The Encyclopedia Britannica said it was one of the greatest works of literature and all in all that ever to be written. But he had some times of struggles, and in 1879, he wrote a book called A Confession. And in his confession, he describes some of those struggles. Uh, As a child, he had rejected his belief in God, and uh, when he went to university in Moscow and Petersburg, he just kind of lived kind of a riotous life. He lived uh, in promiscuity, he drank heavily, he gambled frequently. And then in uh, 1862, he settled down, Married a loving wife. Ended up having 13 children. And from the outside, he looked very happy. Seemed like everything was going well for him. But he was depressed. He was sad to the point of suicide. The reason he was so driven to this existential despair because he had this question. He said, and I quote, is there any meaning in my life which will not be annihilated by the inevitability of death which awaits me? Nicky Gummel in the Questions of Life book explains what triggered Tolstoy's conversion to Christ. He searched for the answer to that question in every field of science and philosophy. As he looked around at his contemporaries, he saw that people were not facing up to, that, to the first order questions of life. Where did I come from? Where am I going? Who am I? What is life about? Eventually, he found that the peasant people of Russia had been able to answer these questions through their Christian faith. And he came to realize that only in Jesus Christ do we find the answer. Uh, there's an old joke. I, I know Sunday school isn't as popular these days as it used to be in the past. But I remember going to Sunday school. And uh, as I'd go to Sunday school, you know, oftentimes teachers would ask questions. And the answers to the questions would always be Sunday school answers. And so if you said Jesus or the Bible, you probably had an 80% chance of getting the question right. And I think about that and think about that idea of Sunday school answers. And when you think about it, it's really not that far from the truth. Jesus is the answer to every longing of the human heart. These questions, these big questions that we have, where should I go? What should I do? Where am I headed? Jesus says, I am the way. What do I need to know to get there? Jesus says, I am the truth. How can I face this enemy called death and live beyond the grave? And Jesus says, I am the life. Watchman Nee, 20th century Chinese church leader and spiritual writer once said this, God will answer all of our questions in one way and in one way only. Namely, by showing us more of his son. There's a couple named Louis and Jeanette, and uh, they had a son uh, named Louis. And at this point when this was written, it was they were in their 80s. I'm not sure if they're alive uh, today, but they were in their 80s. Their son was in his 50s. And their son had a severe uh, developmental disability, uh, mentally challenged. And so uh, it was so bad that he had to live in an institution. Uh, his, so his name, the father's name was Louis. Uh, son's name was Louis as well. And the parents uh, were concerned about Louis. They just wanted to make sure he knew about Jesus. And they hoped that he knew something about Jesus, about Jesus' love for him. Jesus cared about him. And so they never, you know, they never really knew what he knew because uh, Louis couldn't really speak that well. He couldn't even speak in complete sentences. He would just kind of speak a word here or there Phrase here or there, sometimes even incoherently. Then when he was about 50 years old one day, he's riding in the car with his parents, and then all of a sudden he says this. He says, you know, Mom, you know, Dad, Jesus was born. Jesus died to save us from our sins. He rose again. Yes, he did. These were the only complete sentences that they had ever heard him speak before in his life. Apparently he had learned them because Uh, A pastor or somebody had come in to where he he was living and taught a class. And somehow that had absorbed into his soul. And there's so little that he knew. He wasn't able to communicate. But he knew one thing. He knew the name of Jesus. If only we would do the same thing. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is who we need today. May we never move beyond the simplicity of the gospel that Jesus changes everything. He's the one who directs our steps. He's the one who guards our minds and he leads us to life everlasting. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Thomas A. Kempis wrote this, writing from the perspective of Christ. Follow thou me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which thou must follow, the truth which thou must believe, the life for which thou must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, life uncreated. Jesus is the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. What a beautiful name! It's the name of Jesus Christ. The name above all names. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We don't have to go our own way. We don't have to figure out how to live our lives. That when we follow after you, that you'll lead us in life everlasting. You'll lead us to a place of joy. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love for us and dying on the cross for us. Lord, as Christians, as those who may be just checking out Christianity, Lord, I just pray that we would understand the greatness of who you are, that we would understand what you've done for us, and that we would never move beyond the simplicity of the gospel, the simplicity that you change everything. Lord, help us to stay close to you. Help us to follow you with all of our hearts because when we know that when we do that, we will be blessed in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen.